Hello and welcome to the Wise Yourself Up podcast. I am your host, Carla McGreevy. And in today's episode, I'll be talking to you about why my career is devoted to helping you be still and why it is the most beneficial skill you can learn, in my opinion, and I beg you to learn in 2024. I've been recording every day, so I'm actually recording before Christmas Day. This is the 19th of December and I am not sleeping in Bali so far. The jet lag is still knocking me over. I think last night I slept for about five hours and like in London I was sleeping for nearly 12. So I'm still adjusting. When this podcast reaches you, it'll be under full moon in Capricorn skies which is a dangerous mix with as many people that would have been out last night for Boxing Night. So if you have a hangover, I hope you're taking good care of yourself. I was never a fan of Boxing Night or New Year's Eve. Even when I was like really young, like 18, 19, I just can't cope with cues and waiting. I'm allergic. I only started going out on Boxing Night when I fell in love with my best friend, Holly, who I met in London. She was born on Boxing Day hence why she's called Holly. And I started going out then. And then it must have stopped both COVID and now Holly has a baby. So maybe it'll be more tamer nights out in future for Boxing Night with her. I hope he's had a gorgeous Christmas. I think my plan is to be on the beach and surf and do very un-Christmassy things. But I'd love to hear about yours. I hope that you're enjoying these days of not knowing what day it is and the deep breaths that it allows and just spending time with your family which I know can be trying for some and just to really allow this dream time you know when you really slow down and there's space and boredom they say is the juice of creativity that we need to get more bored apparently that's why Ed Sheeran it doesn't have a mobile phone now whether he has one again or not this was a few years ago I listened to an interview with him And that's why I got rid of his mobile because we aren't bored enough and it's killing our creativity. I hope you get lots. I hope you get really, really bored over these next few days and see what arises. Also, let me know what arises. I am dying to know your plans for 2024, your New Year's resolutions if you're into that, any intentions, goals, skills you're going to learn. I said last year I was going to learn how to dance. Did not happen. Last year was total survival mode for me after my dad died. And also I moved city. And then my granddad died. It was just a very messy, messy year. I think it might have been overambitious of me to have goals of new skills. However, last night I went to a dance class. It was like a floor class. So if you do pole, you'll probably know what this sort of style of dance is. So it's like all floor work and movement. And I was so nervous getting in and everybody looked like absolute pros. I went to the back of the class. The thing that you do when you're the beginner, right? Because you don't know what you're doing. The teacher assured me that it wasn't too advanced, that I'd be all right. It was good crack. I was totally out of rhythm. Everyone else, I think, had a background dance, you know, grew up dancing. But all the girls were really lovely and it was just interesting how much it brought up, like, so much discomfort. I think I have a lot of conditioning around 
women dancing to be sexy or what's the words for this? Prejudice and conditioning I definitely hold from growing up Catholic and in Ireland. I'm exploring this through going to this dance class and also because it makes me cringe. Now, I think the other girls are amazing and I love watching them and I think it's great. But when I do it, it's deeply cringe. <laughs> I want to do more things that knocks on those doors so that I can grow. If we always do what's comfortable, right, we'll never grow. So I'm really going to into a really deeply uncomfortable place there. I will let you know how I get on each week. But interestingly enough, for someone who... I know I record my practices for Instagram, but I just want to underline that that's not true yoga. In the law of physics, the observer affects the object, right? Therefore, when I have a camera on me, it affects my practice. I can't pretend that the camera's not there. It changes how I move, right? Even if I'm trying my best not to perform, I'm trying my best to be in a yoga practice. When I'm recording, I'm recording for the purpose of content. It's not a yoga practice. Whereas my own yoga practice, you can maybe see it in a yoga class or if you're practicing with me. But when a camera comes on, it's just different. We had to go into groups and do the dance in front of the class. Could you imagine me as a beginner? I was like, holy shit. I wanted to say that I wouldn't do it, but I was like, no, Carla, do not run away. There was actually points where I was like, right, I think I'm done now. Do you ever see you start a new skill and you're so impatient? I'm like, is that the class over now? It was like only 20 minutes in. I think the class was like 75 minutes in total. I was catching all this and then... We had to be recorded and this girl who was like phenomenal dancer, I recorded her and she's like, I'll record you. And I was like, no, 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 don't do that. And then we had to do it again and she recorded me and I could say, I told her no, but she recorded me and I messed up more than ever because it's just that idea of being recorded as a beginner is so weird. But I also remember when I was learning boxing like 10 years ago that I was in tears so I've, I've come a long way, at least I didn't cry last night. I remember learning the skill of boxing and crying because I felt like an elephant, a blind elephant who just couldn't get it because I'm so impatient and, you know, we all want to be good at things and it's so uncomfortable to be the beginner in the class. And I was told at the time it takes real humility to be the beginner and that's why it's so good for us. I remember that because now I feel comfortable at boxing. I'm comfortable to be recorded at boxing. I feel very confident in that skill after lots of practice. That makes me excited to see what could unfold with this. I would love to hear your experiences. I know some of you are great at being the beginner, which I'm so in awe of. It's like my best friend when she was learning with me, like she would get hit in boxing and it would just be like over her head. And I think when you've really high self-esteem and self-worth, you can really handle being the beginner. Okay, so today I want to chat to you about why I no longer sell swall. For any of you who don't know, I used to work in the drink industry, in marketing and sales, organising parties, going to lots of parties, having a company credit card, never paying for anything, company car, all that crap, lots of fun, loved it. And now I am selling to you to be still, to take care of yourself. 
why have I done this 360? Because it has changed my life and it has saved me. It has saved so many people that I've worked with because these skills, these practices that I talk about, they work. I never in my wildest dreams thought this is what I would do. If you had said to me, in 10 years, this is what you'll be doing, I would be like, run and jump. This sounds like my idea of hell. Meditation, yoga, self-care. It just, it's unbelievable that this is what I do now. I'm sure people who went to school with me are like, Jesus, she's done a 360, all right. As someone who was a roadrunner her entire life, so until my late 20s, who never stopped, never stopped for a breath, I never in a million years think I would be devoting my life to encouraging people to learn to breathe deeply and to do less and be still. And of course, move your bodies too regularly, but more important than that is to really observe your body and breath and the sensations within. The reason why I am so passionate about this because it is the skill that serves the most, in my opinion, and in many people's opinions. In the words of Rumi, the quieter you become, the more you're able to hear. The problem is that we can't hear our own inner voice, our own inner desires, our dreams, because the thoughts are so, so busy. The most beneficial thing for our bodies, for our health, is to relax. Most of us don't truly relax. A lot of people's version of relaxation is to veg out in TV and dissociate, or to veg out in TV and to constantly be in thinking about what they're going to do next or analysing the past and that is not true relaxation. True relaxation is in the present moment. I remember when I was asked to learn to meditate and to learn to breathe, I was just like absolutely no chance. I'd rather claw off my skin and throw myself out that window. I never in a million years thought I would be able to sit with myself, never mind try (laughs) and teach other people to sit with themselves. I want to address why meditation and being still is so difficult. Also, just to highlight before we begin, that it is the most beneficial skill for my 10 years of studying, for self-love, for self-connection, and for health. Why is it so hard? Two main factors is unprocessed trauma and poor breathing. Let's talk about the unprocessed trauma first. I couldn't find any figures. Now, some of you, if you have the figures, please send me. I couldn't find figures on how many people have unprocessed trauma or the estimates around statistics. But there's plenty of research in how unprocessed trauma contributes to mental and physical illness and addictions. And you can read that in Bessel von Koch's work. You can read that in Gabriel Mate's work. You can read that in Peter Levine's work in all the leading trauma experts. It is widely accepted now that this is true. I believe that we all have unprocessed trauma, as would all the leading experts in trauma, because when we think about it, unless when you first occurred trauma as a child or throughout your life, that you are supported and you have tools and skills and practices to regulate and nurture yourself back to a sense of safety and relaxation, then more than likely you have unprocessed trauma in your body. 
if you haven't went to talk therapy, if you don't have the skills and tools in place, you will have unprocessed tra trauma because we all have trauma. I have unprocessed trauma still. I injured my shoulder. I can feel that in my movement, the way my brain reacts, the way my body freezes in certain positions. I notice too, obviously, I've had three losses in the past two years. Many of you have had losses too. Many of you have went through birth, which is trauma. You have miscarriages, painful periods is trauma. COVID, we all went through that in lockdown. And you're not going to get over three years of chaos. And it hasn't even been that long. What year? Like, what if we had like a year of freedom? I don't even know how long we've had to have a space from that. It takes time. So we're always using the tools and practices that we have in place to take care. Continually doing the work of self-care, self-regulation and nurturing ourselves. These are all skills that I certainly then grew up knowing. I remember, so it was like 10 years ago, you have to remember that I started therapy and I'd never heard of self-care. And I remember she asked me what I did to take care of myself and I was like, it's like she was asking me a question in Chinese. I couldn't understand it. I didn't know anything about nurturing myself, anything about being gentle and tender with myself. I was just forceful and brutal with myself. And so many of us, that's how we grew up, right? The evolution of humanity is asking us to change the complexity of what we are now as humans in the environment that we are in now as humans is asking us to change. This unprocessed trauma makes it very difficult for people to sit still and be with themselves and just focus on their breath because usually very difficult emotions will arise, firstly, that were unfelt at the time when they occurred, the traumas. Some people are afraid of that the emotions are going to overwhelm them or that they'll get depressed like they have experienced before or... They have too much traumatic energy inside them that needs to be moved first before they can be still. People who have too much unprocessed energy inside them to be still, they need to use the oldest form of meditation, which is shouting, screaming, and vigorously moving your body. Trauma aside, another factor as to why it is difficult to be still and focus on your breath and how you feel is that it is reported in James Nestor's book, Breathe, that 90% of people are breathing poorly. Let's look at the relationship between the body, breath and mind. It is the breath that is the marriage between body and mind. Therefore, what does that mean if people are breathing poorly, the relationship between body and mind? Poor breathing is when you over-breathe, you're breathing and you take too many breaths per minute, per hour, and you're not breathing deep enough. That's also connected to this culture of having to have a flat belly, especially in the Western world. One of my favourite descriptions of the relationships between body and breath is from a phenomenal woman called Bonnie Cambridge, who created Body Mind Centering, which I studied through Tara Brack. She talks about the mind is the wind and the body is the sand. If you want to see what way the wind is blowing, you look at the sand. That is the practice of breathwork and meditation. You focus on the breath and you notice what way it's blowing in the sand.
the breath connects body and mind with 80% of communication actually going up towards the brain. For any of you who don't know this, I'm sure most of you do. And the brain communicates 20% down the way, which is why we take a bottom-up approach with the healing. We use practices such as yoga and breath work, which can be more effective in helping people heal and change than talk therapy. Talk therapy and monitoring your thoughts and trying to change your thoughts of course has potency and it is powerful however there's a difficulty in that and of course every thought is energy there's a difficulty in that that every thought is in past and future it's never truth it's never in the present moment how the body feels is always in the present moment which is why the body always tells the truth and that there's a wisdom I'm going to give an example of how the body and mind can tell two different stories. An example I can think of is last year I was doing my somatic advanced teacher training and we had to role play. So I had to role play with another body worker. I was acting as a client. She was practicing her skills as a body worker. We were using verbal communication and she was trying to sense of me what I needed and wanted. In my head, I wanted touch. I was like, I want her to put her hands on me. I want this pressure of touch, blah, blah, blah. However, after when we shared, she told me that from my body, she sensed that I didn't want her near me. It was a bit of a ha-ha moment because it made sense. This was like three months after my father died. That my body would be contracted and I would be recording my natural tendencies, like so many of us, is to lick our wounds on our own. We need the healing community. We need to allow ourselves to be seen when we're hurt. That needs to change in our world. I'm sure some of you are thinking that's just her perception. Maybe she was wrong on what she sensed, but I trust her opinion. I trusted her in her skill set. And also I knew that it made sense and because I've had many different experiences where I know that I'm giving off a very closed, cold energy in a room, I'm really trying to get to the truth of that, to be a more open person in this world. And it's also to remember that when the body and mind are saying two different things, the body's always telling the truth. I have a more jokey one. I was learning how to box, right? I was like, if you're listening... My shoulders are around my ears, right? And the guy who's teaching me, Ryan, says, just relax, Carter, just relax. And I was like, I am relaxed. And he was like, well, then drop your shoulders. And I was like, oh, right. The body's always telling the truth of how you feel. Let's look back to poor breathing. Our breathing communicates how we're feeling. It expresses our emotions. If 90% of people are poorly breathing which is too many breaths per minute and shallow, what emotion is that person feeling? What emotion is most people feeling? What emotion do you feel when you breathe like that? It's usually when you're afraid, isn't it? When you're anxious, when you're scared. Think about the physical posture that most of us are in all day. We're like hunched over, compressed in, on our laptops. Like we gremlins. Oh, I spend too much time on my laptop too. If we are breathing poorly and we're in that hunched over position in death life, what impact is that going to have on how we feel about ourselves? And there's often the debate in 
healing circles with body workers, what came first? The chicken or the egg? Is it because we're slumped in a body shape that would express that we're depressed all day over a computer, breathing poorly, that's causing these record levels of anxiety and depression? Or was it the anxiety and depression pulled us into this shape and this poor breathing? In recent research, it was reported that one in three suffer anxiety or depression, which really affects our lives in UK employees and I'll link to where that research is from. How does this link to meditation? Then it makes sense that if we are breathing poorly and we go to meditate and be with ourselves and we consciously register how poorly that we're breathing, it may intensify the feelings of anxiety and depression or bring that to light then normally we don't want to be in it, right? That is why it is so important to learn how to breathe fully and deeply before trying to learn how to meditate, before trying to learn to be still. That was definitely my experience. (laughs) Tracy, my first therapist, before she abandoned me for Australia, Tracy was trying to get me to learn how to meditate through breath work by using a tool. That's what breath work is. It's the manipulation of the breath. It's a tool to enter meditation, a tool for the mind. I found it very difficult to even focus on my breath for a minute, even with the technique of counting. I think it was like one, you just counted to 10 and you tried to focus up to 10, you started again. If you notice when thoughts come in, so say I went one, two, three, oh, I should get a McDonald's. Then I went back to one, two, three, four, five. Do you know what I mean? That's how it worked. But I started to get really dizzy and I thought I was going to pass out. Tracy told me that I wasn't breathing. I was holding my breath and I accused her of being a liar because that's the kind of rocket I am or was. Hopefully I've changed. I was so convinced that my reality of what I thought was happening was not happening. I was so unconscious, right? I was convinced I was breathing. I was like, I'm hardly holding my breath. But it made sense, right? If you're going to pass out, you must be holding your breath. I was trying so hard to relax and be good at meditation and breath work because I'm just top over trier, folk. And yeah, that's what happened. Nearly passed out. I needed to learn how to chill and not be so serious and not try to be number one at everything. I really get the ick thinking about all these parts of myself. When we're learning to breathe, we want to Learn to take full, deep, slow breaths. On the inhale, your diaphragm lowers so that your lungs can expand. Your rib cage, the arms that wrap around the oceans of your lungs expands. It moves out side to side, left to right. It also moves slightly up, moving your collarbones up. It's such a huge dynamic internal movement, every breath. Your belly gets big on the inhale. Your belly fills. Once we're comfortable in our breath, then it makes it so much easier to sit, to feel, observe, and study the truth of who you are, to be more conscious. Which is why I teach breathwork, because it has transformed me. It has allowed me to become a more conscious being, and I've got a long way more to go. And it's helped so many other people. And there's even more magic to the breath. I'm not going to cover it today, but I've had psychedelic experiences on the breath, which I'll talk to you about another day. I have been practicing breathwork and meditation for eight years now. 
it does not mean that I sit like a Buddha every day. Certainly not. Especially with the losses that I've had in this past two years and especially through lockdown. When starting breathwork and meditation, my advice is that for me, a minute felt like forever. And you start with that. Like literally I started for a minute and I think I stayed there for about a year. Easy. Honestly, it was the longest minute of my life. I built up to five minutes and I kept on building. Now, the research shows that if you were doing three minutes every day, but you managed to do that like three times throughout the day, that is the most effective in regulating yourself. It actually changes the pathways in your brain. It thickens the pathway from the amygdala, which is like the smoke center of the brain, to the prefrontal cortex rather than to the reptilian brain, which means we have more space to respond than react. The reptilian brain would be where we react from. Let me go back. So for a year, two years, tried to sit between a minute, five minutes. Then I did my first yoga teacher training. I was sitting for like an hour and a half every day. I must have looked like I had rabies. I was moving and scratching that much. I was awful at it. Then I committed to the practice and then it changed by 2019. I could sit for around 30 minutes after movement. Then after 2019, it changed to sitting before moving. Because we live such sedentary lives now, most people will need to move, like do a yoga practice before they can sit or even do some sort of movement before they sit. However, now I sit before I move because I want to give the maximum energy I have to the most important practice I have. I find now when I move and then I sit, I'm not as present as what I would be before movement that I've drained some of my resources. I think that's something that everybody has to work through for themselves and what works for them and it changes with life. It may be next year I need to move before sitting again. It's always changing and tapering what's coming up. I currently sit for 30 minutes and I would love to sit for an hour because I read some of the world's greatest writers and creators like Young Pebble, who accredits their work to being able to sit for an hour in the morning and an hour at night. The body is the place where all the answers lie, where all the creativity lies, all, the, all your patience, everything that you were born in this earth to create. It has so much more answers than any book any Google search. So it makes sense to want to spend more time meditating and being with ourselves, to patiently wait to receive. And there's an excitement to what, what will be revealed when we don't demand, because when you demand a meditation, you do not receive. It's a really good practice for the generation of impatient brats that we are. Now, I can say that about myself, but more than likely, if you're connected with me and listening to this podcast, you're a fellow brat. Now, on the days when I can't sit with myself, I know that there's something I'm refusing to feel. There's something, there's an experience I'm resisting. It does not mean that I have to feel it. It does not mean I have to force myself to sit. That's a skill in itself of learning when you are leaving too soon which would be my number one go-to, leaving too soon. Or there's other people who try and force their way through it and it's too much for the system and it traumatizes the body. That is a skill you need to work with 
and working with a teacher can help you develop those skills of knowing when to stay and it's not when you leave so when you notice that you really can't it's overwhelming then the system's asking to be nurtured on the days you're struggling to meditate the system's always asking for you to attend for you to take care of her for you to mother yourself to parent yourself to father yourself if there's a lot of traumatic energy in the body you may need a run you may need a walk you may need to do boxing whatever it is you may need to really come into a state of relaxation through nurturing yourself, through a hot bath, through a nice cup of tea, through words of affirmation, whatever way it is in that you nurture yourself so that you feel held and supported to come into that state of safety. I had no idea how to nurture myself when I first came across this material like 10 years ago. I had never even heard of self-care, how to soothe the body to nurture it and you want to keep it really simple in terms of rocking and putting a blanket around you and touch things that are accessible. I remember, I think I answered my therapist at one time that when I need to, I go to the cold water, which is extreme. If you don't live beside the water, that's extreme. That's not easily accessible in really intense moments of my life. For example, when you're at a vigil of someone who's dying, you're not going to run to the ocean unless it's right at your doorstep every day. I mean, I didn't have 30 minutes to run to the beach and back. I needed something that was way more, like I said, accessible. And it's to remember, especially if you're around my age, that, you know, self-care, most of us never heard of it. Joanne McNally makes a great joke about it. I quote Joanne McNally as much as I do Gabriel Mate. She jokes about the generation of Gen Zs don't know how lucky they are all this access to information about loving yourself and therapy and all the information online and that our generation could just roll a magic eight ball to check in how we felt. It's just so funny. This is so new for us all to learn, but so important. We're evolving as humans and have different needs to what our ancestors had. We're becoming more emotionally complex than ever. And this is the era of emotional intelligence it used to be the brains before this era it used to be muscles before that era so it's really important skills that we are learning we can't listen if we're constantly doing I really feel that everybody should be able to sit with themselves I really think it's an important thing to do in this lifetime to learn to breathe learn to be still to be to attend it's the highest form of love and I definitely realised that at the moment, at the end of life, how that practice comes into play. And that's the skill that I urge you to learn in 2024. It's a skill that has served me the most in supporting people through sickness and death. Because you learn to stay when it's really hard. That's what I want to know. How will you love yourself in 2024? How are you loving yourself? How are you deepening your self-love? Because in my quest to understand why there's so much suffering in this world, because there's so much, and how do we heal? The answer has always been love. And you must love yourself first before you can share that love with anybody else. 
I deeply hated myself right up. Probably did was about 30 now. I was in the, the, the work of healing, but, you know, I, I certainly didn't love myself. And it's always a journey, right? Loving yourself more because we don't abuse ourselves when we love ourselves. We don't prioritise burning ourselves out over taking care of ourselves. We wouldn't do it to somebody else. You wouldn't allow your mother or father or child to do it or your partner. But yet we do it to ourselves. And I think that's a good, a good rule, a good ruler to know how you love yourself. It's how well you take care of yourself, that you allow yourself rest without guilt. You put yourself first. You put your life jacket on first, which is a very difficult skill for women. And we know that through the research. That's why Gabriel Mate says that 75% or it's higher than now, it's 80% of women have autoimmune disease from putting other people's needs before their own. That's why it's so vital. How are you going to love yourself in 2024? It may not be what I've spoken about there, but I'd love to know because love is a verb. So how do you love yourself? I would love to hear your goals, your intention, your dreams. I need some inspiration. So please DM me, email me at wiseyourselfuppod at gmail.com. I have a free taster. There's three 30 minutes sits in it, but don't worry. It's seven minutes of movement, seven minutes of breath work, and then seven minutes of journaling roughly. It's a way that can really help people who are experiencing a lot of resistance to being with themselves, to sitting to enter the world of being. I would love you to try. And if you want to join me live, I'm going to offer breath work every morning for the month of January because you only really experience the power of something when you practice it regularly. It takes time. In a month, you will experience the power of breath, how powerful it is to make yourself your first priority before you open your emails, before you open Instagram before you serve others that you serve yourself first and how that can change your life if you have any questions about anything please let me know I hope you enjoyed today's share I hope you enjoy these I don't know what day it is days and that you have an amazing new year send me all your dreams and plans and I will see you next week take care Thank you so much for listening to the Wise Yourself Up podcast. Your support is so valued and needed. So any like, share, subscribe, please help.